Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the ever-expanding law enforcement edition. Yet another. Yeah. <laughs> we just did one, didn't we? Yeah, we, uh, yeah. I can't remember what which one it, it was. <laughs> they all run together now. Yeah. Well, we've done a lot. Yep. Body cameras. Uh, and I kind of, when I picked this one out, thought, well, I don't know if there's a whole lot there, but it, it ended up being a little more interesting than I thought, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. At least culturally, too. Totally. So um, we're talking body cameras, and they're pretty straightforward at their base. Um, but once you kind of start looking at, like, the cultural baggage associated with them, why they're being used. It, it is a pretty mushrooming topic for sure. And apparently <clears throat> back in 2005, the Brits started using them. Doesn't and surprise me. They ran some, yeah, because I mean like the city of London, I don't think there's a square inch that isn't under surveillance, you know? Yeah. And they're just pretty uh, technologically um, forward, I think. Sure. Like the first cell phone I ever saw was in London. Oh, really? Yeah. I was thinking of like Japan and Korea for that kind of stuff. Well, maybe there too, but I didn't go to either one of those places in the early 90s. I got you. So you're like London's in your head for that. Yes. So um, with, with I guess, the UK in particular, once they started using body cameras, they started using them more and more and more. And that's definitely the case with the United States more recently. Um, and apparently there's a, there's a pilot program that really started the whole thing off back in 2012 in a little town called Rialto, California, which is about 50 miles east of Los Angeles. Yeah. And in Rialto, I'm not sure what the impetus was, but the police chief and a criminologist got together and said, let's, let's try this. They gave half of the police force body cameras to wear and then switched and gave the other half, I guess the second half of the year, throughout all of 2012. Yeah, and what they were mainly tracking were two different things, uh, incidences of police force and then civilian complaints against officers um, generally after use of police force. But just complaints, period. Yeah. Basically. And the results were pretty surprising, I think. Yeah. Um, they uh, The officers who wore the cameras uh, used force half as often, just generally, would use 50%. Uh, I get, well, not 50% less force. That's a little misleading. <laughs> they would use force 50% less. Of the time. Of the time. Yeah. Um, and then the complaints filed, they said they couldn't really, um, there were so few complaints, they couldn't really draw a good uh, statistical conclusion. Mm -hmm. But there was uh, a 90% reduction compared with 2011 of complaints. Right. And they found but out other stuff too. I looked into the study. Um, and this is just... The commentary from the research team, these aren't like facts and figures, but, you know, you do a study like this and then they analyze it. Then they say, well, this is what I think. Um, they say that uh, their research shows that people tend to adhere to social norms and change their conduct once they're aware that their behavior is being observed. Mm -hmm. um, and it, uh, the body-worn cameras convey a straightforward, pragmatic message. You're being watched, videotaped, and expected to follow the rules. And apparently this, uh, what they call a self-awareness effect, is a neutral third eye that works on both sides. They said it 
suspects tend to cool down their aggressive actions more, and it deters officers from reacting excessively uh, or unnecessarily with force. So it kind of works both ways. And uh, the final thing I thought was really interesting was uh, it had what they call the spillover effect, which was even officers that weren't using the cameras because they did, like you said, with half the force at mm-hmm. a time. Mm-hmm. They had fewer uh, incidences of force used, and they speculate that they just think there's a conscious effort then going on to make uh, to improve their behavior so that the the officers that had the cameras being watched didn't like have an advantage or a disadvantage. Like they sort of normalized the whole thing, even if they weren't wearing a camera. Huh. I had I not heard really that part at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a speculation, mm-hmm. but it sort of makes sense. Well, so this, the Rialto study is really, um, often cited because it was the first of its kind in the United States and because the results were so surprising. And then, so Rialto, the city immediately was like, okay, all officers now have body cameras after the, the results came in. Yeah. <clears throat> and it just so happened that this took place, the study took place, um, right before a couple of very high profile police involved deaths, Eric Garner, um, and then Michael Brown. Yeah. And Michael Brown's death in particular, raised the issue of body-worn cameras, which is a, <clears throat> the general term for the the cameras police are wearing. Um, because Darren Wilson, who shot Michael Brown, the police officer who shot him six times, um, what, gave one account of the story, and witnesses gave another account of the story. Yeah. And so when Michael Brown's death kind of became part of a national conversation. And especially with Eric Garner's death, too, which immediately preceded, I think, like a month before, back in 2014. Um, <clears throat> Eric Garner's death was full-on videotaped by a guy who was standing there recording it on his cell phone. Yeah. And it, it got out, and it was released to the public, and it started this national conversation about police brutality. Um, and But it also had this other real aspect to it that this conversation might not be happening were it not for video documentation of these of Eric Garner's death. So the fact that this is happening at a time right after Rialto has had this study, people are looking around saying this there's entire swaths, these communities um, have had this what was called a simmering distrust of the police, and they've had it forever, but now all of a sudden the rest of the nation's paying attention to this very important issue. Um, and this, these body cameras work so well for this little town in, uh, east of Los Angeles, maybe we should start to institute those. And all of a sudden the Department of Justice starts shelling out $43 million in grants for local law enforcement to buy body cameras. And there was this, this idea that, good, the problem solved. But to a lot of people, and at least in part myself included, it, it kind of seems like this could just be a band-aid. Does it actually solve anything or does it actually just underscore the distrust on both sides? Like, I don't trust that you're not going to file a false report about me being brutal on you. So I'm recording you and I have to wear this because the federal government knows that you don't trust me and I might beat you up. Uh, uh, extra ju- ju- judiciously. So if 
if neither side trusts one another and you just have a, a video camera observing the whole thing, does that actually solve anything or does it just underscore the distrust? That's that's probably the biggest question to me that came out of researching this episode. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's not a magic pill by any means, but it's another tool that can help. Right. But is, but is what I think that then the issue to me then is you can't just overly rely on that one tool. I think it kind of has a tendency to lull people into complacency like, OK, we've got this tool out there now. We don't have to worry about the actual underlying issues. Yeah. And we'll get into I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why it's not a, a magic pill. We'll get into all those later. But um as of right now. It was hard to get 2017 statistics, but I got one from about a year ago that said 43 of the 68 major cities now uh, have, you know, the, what they call the major police forces mm-hmm. in the U.S. now use body cameras. However, uh, 95% say that they will begin to use them and are, you know, taking steps to do so. Um, but however, they here and this is one of the issues of why it's not a magic pill. Um, only 3% uh, of these, and this was a survey, only 3% of the officers reported recording seven plus hours per day. And that's in a in a typical, I think, what do they work generally, 12 hours at a time? Yeah, from what I understand. So only 3% are recording seven of those hours. Uh, 49% recorded, uh, less than 50% recorded three or fewer hours per day. Right. Um. So that's one of the big issues is some departments will, I mean, and it varies from department and locality to locality on what the rules are. Some of them say, all right, well, here's your body camera, but you don't have to use it. Um, some of them say use it during any um, uh, confrontation with a citizen, uh, any call you have to make. Yep. Some say, well, you got to turn them off when you go into a private residence because, as we'll talk about a little later, the ACLU you know, it's a privacy issue when you're filming people without their consent that could potentially be released. But surprisingly, a little bit, the ACLU eventually kind of said, no, nah, we, w- we would rather have the officers wear these, even though it's a privacy issue for citizens. Right. It's a tricky, tricky thing. Oh, man, it is a can of worms like no other. Um, But we I mean, I think everyone knows what these are. We haven't even said yet. These are cameras that police officers wear. On their body, um, the ones I've mostly seen, they wear sort of on their chest. Yeah, like uh, where their CB used to be. Yeah, uh, some of them, though, are on the shoulder or on the helmet um, or on the collar. Mm-hmm. But mostly I've seen the one that it kind of actually looks like a little CB, uh, whatever you call it, not a CB handle because that's rubber ducky in the in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, the CB handle is what your name is. Right, right. And Rubber Ducky was from Convoy, I think. Wasn't oh, it? was it? I think so. The the movie or the song? The mo- Well, the song was from the movie. Or the improv troupe. <laughs> oh, man, those guys are great. Yeah. So what the, the receiver, but you're talking to it. The mouthpiece. Okay. <laughs> I just call it the walkie-talkie part. The walkie-talkie part? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it's generally mounted on the chest, and uh, there are many manufacturers that make these now. Um, some of them uh, are wire- wireless. Some of them have high def. Some of them have one-touch activation and uh, ultra-wide angle because that's one of the issues why it's not a magic pill. Like the view that they get, mm-hmm. if it's not a wide angle, is a chest-high view of whatever the officer's body is pointed at. 
Right. It's not necessarily not... what their face is looking at, where their eyes are looking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's okay, but you know, it's not, it's not a solve for everything and all issues. No, it's not because as we'll get into later, you know, if, if something happens off camera that isn't captured, like a suspect reaching for a gun, and but on camera, all of a sudden the the cops just standing there, and then the next thing you know, he pulls his gun out and shoots the guy. It's like, well, that that cop just went berserk because yeah. the camera didn't capture that thing. Most of them have a time and date stamp. Some of them have the badge number of the cop. Yep. Some of them have GPS coordinates. Uh, some of them take still photos. Some stream to remote devices. Uh, very few of them can you actually? Is it like a iPhone where you can as a screen that you can watch it? Uh, but some of them can hook up to an app to your phone where you can watch it. Yeah. Very uh, advanced. I read this article about the one that Taser's putting out. It was largely about that. It was by, it was a motherboard article by Alex Pasternak. And he, um, talks about how one of the big concerns, uh, is in a, the addition of facial recognition, like computer facial recognition. Yeah. <clears throat> because supposedly, I didn't know this, half of Americans have their face in a facial recognition database already. Yeah. So if you're just somebody walking past one of these cameras and it has facial recognition attached to it, it will say, oh, well, there went Josh Clark. He was here on this date at this time. And he's wanted for murder. Right. Well, that was part of the point. It's like, well, you know, the 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 camera can pick it up and then the database can let you know, go get that guy. He's wanted for murder. Um but also, if you're just a private citizen, is your your <clears throat> the your right against unlawful search and seizure being um, violated by that kind of thing? And apparently, that is definitely a direction that that um, these cameras are starting to go now. Like facial recognition will soon be the next step as they're deployed further and further. It's going to be like a a common um, feature on them. Yeah, uh, another feature that. Uh, most of these cameras have now, and this is a very interesting one because it's kind of played out recently to be significant is a buffering pre-record. So if this camera is on, it's <clears> recording, <throat> but it records in 30 second or 60 second intervals with no audio most right. of the time. Gotcha. So what's happening is even if the cop has not pressed record, it's recording and erasing over itself constantly. Um, if it's turned on. So what happens when the cop hits record is it's going to have that 30 or 60 seconds tagged onto it, and that gets saved, uh, which can be a big asset if the cop, uh, you know, a lot of times the cop will see something and turn it on, but they have just missed what's happened. Mm-hmm. But it'll grab that 30 seconds, which can be a big help. Or in the case of Baltimore, it can bust a cop planning evidence. Yeah, I saw that too. So what? That to me was more like interpretation of video. What is your, what was your take on it? Well, no, there were two of them. The the most recent one was interpretation of video. I think there was one previous to that where it actually caught the cop planning evidence because he didn't know that the 30 second buffer was happening. Oh, really? I didn't see that one. Uh, and then that may have been, I'm not sure in this case, but sometimes it's uploaded to a cloud. Yeah. And it's there. Right. Uh, the, the second one I think was, what it looks like is that the cops took a made a concerted effort to organize and deploy their cameras at specific times to get away with planning evidence. 
So that's the speculation. This is all very brand new in the news. I see. But, uh, you know, there are cops saying, like, do you have yours on? You're not supposed to have yours on yet, saying things like that. And, of course, the the ACLU and, and the prosecutors are saying this is clearly the cops trying to coordinate this thing mm-hmm. with their cameras. Yeah, the staging with reality. Yeah, and that's something that is going to start happening more and more. I mean, ideally, all all cops are doing really good work. Uh, and you don't have to worry about that, but you know, there's been plenty of cases over the years of bad cops doing bad things. And now with these body cameras, they're going to have to find a way to get around it. Yeah. And I want to, can I just say something real quick? So, so the, the whole issue to me is this, right? Like, um, I think I probably come off as distrustful of cops sometimes. And to me, um, so as a society, we give cops like a tremendous amount of power over us, right? And we give it to them in exchange for them up, you know, upholding the law yeah. and protecting us. Yeah, right? being when trustworthy. We need right. But the problem is, is if that trust is broken, then that's a huge issue because you go suddenly from because you can't do anything about it. And you go from being a protected citizen to being a hostage of the state. Right. So that means to me that police have to be like above reproach that they, they, they have to be a, as angelic as possible. Right. And that if they're they're um, if they're that if they're called into question for something, there shouldn't even be the slightest hint that they're being protected or it's being covered up or anything like that. And government needs to step in and do something about it. And that has not been the case. Government has broken down in its role of overseeing police when the question of trust is brought up. And what you're left with then is a a citizenry that says, I don't trust the cops any longer. And just as bad as that, I don't trust the governments to root out bad cops um, when the trust is broken. Yeah, but that power structure is still there. That doesn't change. Exactly. Exactly. So we're all hostages now to the cops. That's it's clearer than ever now. That's that's my problem. I'm not saying that that is necessarily the case. Or that even if it is the case, it's the case across the board. I think there are plenty and plenty and plenty of good cops out there who really do hold themselves to a very high standard. But the fact is, there are bad cops out there, too. And I don't believe that bad cops are rooted out and prosecuted like they should be. And that the trust between the citizens and the police has eroded as a result. And the government has totally dropped the ball in in repairing that. Well, yeah, and especially tough too when like every, uh, every bad cop documentary you've ever seen, 100% of them, the first thing you hear cops saying is, well, the first rule is you got to cover for your buddy cops. Sure. Like even if you don't agree with them, you don't rat mm-hmm. out a cop. And so then you're like, well, but, man. But I, I think cops also subscribe almost across the board to what's right is right though. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And that they do kind of tend to, to, to go toward that. I like to think that. I want to think that, um, and I hope I'm not being naive in thinking that. All right, you want to take a break? Yeah. All right, let's do it, and we'll talk uh, a little more about body cameras. All 
right, we're back uh, with a little more of the mundane, which is the cost of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can go up to about nine hundred bucks, or as low as uh, the low hundreds. Um, let's just say an average of four or five hundred bucks for a system. Um, and if you have a large police force of six, eight hundred cops, it's a lot of dough. Um, it so, is, but Uncle Sam is offsetting a lot of that. Yeah, for sure. And and I think everyone is in favor of these. I I think our article points out in a very astute way, like ideally these things can provide clarity, but at the very least, it's just another measure in place to help protect citizens and police. Yes, but there's a group who say, no, these are kind of a bad idea, and I find it suspicious that the government is um, supporting this so so wholeheartedly that it's just – advancing the surveillance state that much more, normalizing the idea of people being recorded everywhere they go all the time, even in interacting with other people. Yeah. So I think there are some people who just don't even like the idea of of body-worn cameras at all. Well, citizens and cops, probably. Right. Um, So another big problem, uh, or not, well, I guess it is sort of a problem, or challenge at least, is is how to store this information. Um, Depending on where you are, like they use Oakland as a as a example in this article, 600 cops, 600 body cameras, generates about seven terabytes of video every month, and um, storing the stuff is a big challenge because depending on where you are, you have a lot of rules in place because this is evidence potentially, right? And it's you know you can't just store it any way you like. In Oakland, they have to keep it for two years. Of anything that's involved in an investigation, it's longer than that. Uh, Duluth, Minnesota, they point out, it's 30 days. Uh, Laurel, Maryland has six, six months. Like, that's a lot of data. And the security standards are really uh, strict. And yeah. they got to figure out how to store this stuff, how to do it safely. Mm-hmm. And because people that know how to make money are, are behind this, there are companies that very smartly are coming up with complete systems that will offer a police department and say, hey, we got you covered. We will take care of your storage. We will comply with all your rules and regulations. Yeah. We'll train your people because you got to hire in-house people just to keep track of the data, uh, and we'll do it all for you. Exactly. Like Taser apparently has one heck of a system where when the, when the um, officer puts their <clears throat> body-worn camera on the dock to charge – it simultaneously starts uploading um, all cloud, of the right? all of the day's recording, right? Yeah. So yeah, and it goes to the cloud, um, and multiple people have access to it. But it's any interaction with the video is logged automatically by the system. Yeah. If somebody goes to delete it, like only certain people have access to delete files. Yeah. But again, multiple people do, and so if somebody goes to delete it, they um. There, the other people who have the ability ability to delete it are notified, so it That's spreads. It, yeah, it spreads out accountability. Yeah. So it's like, well, wait a minute, I'm going down too for letting you delete it. If, if so, what are you deleting this for? Kind of thing. Right. Um, it's a pretty smart system. Like from what I read from Pasternak in particular, his article, it was like Taser's got it going on. But if you if you take the software away from it and the you know, the LED light attached to it and all that stuff. It's really what you have is basically a GoPro camera. 
it's the it's the highly encrypted and protected software mm-hmm. that goes along with it that really makes it like law enforcement specific. Yeah, and I think in a lot of these places, the DA even has access remotely to this footage. Yeah, uh, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, the thing that that worries me a little bit is <clears throat> the um, the situations where the local police department has their own employees who are responsible for keeping and maintaining and storing the the um, video. Yeah, it should be it should be larger than that. You know, that's too localized. Yeah, I mean, this, it's sort of like, it makes me think of all the movies I've seen where the, uh, the evidence locker is guarded by like a dude. Right. And someone comes down there and they're like, uh, you know, I hurt in the movie. It's, you know, I hurt, I jacked up my hand, man. I can't sign in today. Just, uh, let me in. I gotta look at, <laughs> I gotta look at something for my case. Right. And then the, they're in there, you know, taking apart a gun and putting it in their pants to take out. Yeah. Or what movie was that? Pounds of cocaine. That's every movie. Yeah. That's every movie ever made. Anne of Green Gables even had a scene like <laughs> yep, that. Yep, absolutely. That Frogs movie you were talking about? Yeah. That had it in there. Yeah, I was right. Apparently I added a superfluous exclamation point. Yeah, what's it called? Just frogs? frogs? Not frogs. It's just frogs. Was it frogs? Frogs. <laughs> so um, one of the criticisms I've seen, though, is it's like, well, wait a minute. Why, why don't you trust us? Surely we can police our own video be trusted to police our own video it's like no the very fact that the video exists means that you aren't trusted so no you shouldn't have full jurisdiction over it because if this video is meant to if it's meant because we don't trust you the citizens and we don't trust you the cops but you the cops are the ones who are actually in control of this video that's lopsided that's not a good solution it's not a full solution i should say Right, because they wouldn't turn that over to the citizen and say, why don't you keep track of this? No, that's a big issue, too, <laughs> is who gets to see it. Yeah. Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of cities have, uh, have laws in the books where if you, like a, like a TV station can ask for it and they have to give it to them. Yeah, through, uh, not FOIA, but local state, um, disclosure laws. Yeah. Which is a, another big can of worms. It is. Because you got to give the other side as well, too, right? So, like, if a if a police officer dies in the line of duty and their body camera is recording it, which happened in Arizona, man, not did too you see long that video? Ago, I did. It was I just had anxiety the whole time yep. watching it. It was a, an officer named Tyler Stewart. Yeah, very sad. It was extremely sad to see. He was murdered by some guy named Robert Smith who just drew a gun after like three minutes of questioning. Yeah, and I didn't. I don't know about you, but I didn't see that coming. I didn't either. From it was this just guy. like everything's normal, normal. Yeah, he, he didn't looks seem like he's super shady. No. Uh, and then, of course, you find out afterward that like he'd been contemplating suicide. Yeah. And he, you know, like the reason he was there is because he trashed his girlfriend's apartment. Yeah. And he had a lot of problems going on. But yeah, I mean, I was putting myself in the cop shoes and I'm like, I would have not suspected anything out of this guy no. either. No, he was disarming for sure. Yeah. But the, but, uh, Tyler Officer Stewart recorded his own death. At the hands of this guy. Yeah. And the um, local media was like, well, we want to see it. And apparently Arizona has um, FOIA laws that are um, that say, OK, well, the media gets it. You have to you have to release that, which is apparently pretty rare. Yeah. But in this case, it's like well, doesn't doesn't the doesn't the family of the uh, of the officer have any rights to be spared yeah. 
this being out there on the internet for any anybody who wants to see this guy's death, you know, forever. Yeah, I mean, of course they cut it, but still, you know, yeah. like if anyone can look this up on YouTube, that's just very, I don't know, it's shameful. So the the issue cuts both ways, especially with privacy. Like you, do you protect the citizens' privacy? Do you protect the cops' privacy? Yeah. Do you protect no? Do you take the WikiLeaks um, approach and protect nobody's privacy? Right. Like it happened. Just keep it raw and 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 if it's open to interpretation, then settle it in court, kind of thing. You know. Yeah. Who knows? All right. You want to take another break? Man, I keep working us into breaks, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're doing great. All right, we'll take another break and uh, talk a little bit about how these things work and uh, why they're not magic pills right after this. Okay, Chuck, we're back. You know, I'll tell you one thing. I looked up Taser's stock. Yeah. If you bought in 2000, I think 10, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, because of their like body-worn bucks. camera program. Yeah, it was like $5. And before this, I think they just only made, like, Tasers and non-lethal weapons. But when they got into the body camera market, their stock went from, like, 5 bucks. I think it peaked at, like, 35 or 40. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. Good for them. Yeah. But, and again, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but if you read that Ask Alec Pasternak article, it's, it's a really sharp system. And I own zero stock in Taser. Like I'm just a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan even of their non-lethal weapons, but their, their body worn camera systems is pretty smart. It seems like. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, I'm a fan it, of smart things. Sure. If you're going to design a system, it should be foolproof and work well and yeah. store everything you need it to, not break down. Right. Seems like they got it going on. Yeah. Um, so one of the other reasons that, uh, like I said earlier, this is, it's not a magic pill because you're only getting this one. It's not, our article points out very astutely that it's not an unbiased view still. Um, if you had six or eight, uh, like if you were in London, you had six or eight cameras and different angles on different light posts and you could coordinate this thing and fully see everything that happened. Right. It may be unbiased, truly, but uh, uh, just a single shot from a body camera, a sing- that single angle is not unbiased by any means. No, like did it you helps, see? And that's about it. Did you see the nurse Wubbles arrest? Mm, oh, the Utah nurse who refused to draw the blood of, yeah, the, yeah. of the suspect For while sure. he was unconscious. So if you just watched um, the arresting officer's Jeff Payne's body camera. Yeah. It, I mean, like, because it's up close and personal, it goes like suddenly just basically goes dark when it's pressed up against her back. And it shows like very little of anything. It was because of the other officer that was with him's body camera. Yeah. Um, that you get like, oh, wow, that really was a, a, a lot of force unnecessary force that this guy was using on this lady that you wouldn't have gotten just from the footage from his body camera and that having supporting video evidence definitely expands the, the um, context one way or the other. It's interesting though. We're getting to a point where you're going to have a, say a crime on a, on a officer stop of a car with a 
car camera, dashboard camera, let's say two officers' body cameras, <clears throat> the people inside the car filming with their iPhones, mm-hmm. let's say two. So you've got five different points of view going on that people, uh, courts and juries are going to have to sift through, DAs, defendants are going to have to look at all this stuff and try and piece together what happened. And this is all new. Like previously, you did this from testimony only. Right, exactly. So like, are we opening ourselves up to a time when DAs are uh, are less willing to bring up charges unless there is footage, you know? Yeah, I wonder. But I mean, it doesn't sound like there's going to be much lack of it. There's a company called um, Wolfcom who makes body-worn cameras for police has, is also releasing one for civilians. It's basically the same thing without their police software. Oh, the, like just somebody just wears it all times? Yeah, basically to film the police while the police are filming them. And they, oh. they say it's perfect for protests and proving legality. Right. And there's like, um, there's like a button, the power button or stop or the record button has to be pressed a certain way. So even if like somebody's bumping into you or beating you up, your camera won't stop recording. Yeah. It's like, good Lord, like the fact that this is the climate, that that's like a selling point. Yeah. Is, is really unsettling and sad, you know? It is. Like, hey, everybody, come get your body-worn cameras because you need to film the people who are filming you because you can't trust the even this measure that's being used to supposedly protect your rights. It's just yeah. crazy that the, it's crazy that we're in this state, in this country. It's depressing. It is. That raised another point to me, too, Chuck, the idea of having all these different points of view or video documentation. This is also coming at a time when the, we are starting to see editing software where you can take sure. video and make it do anything. Yeah, fake You it. can make it say anything. You can make it, you can do anything with video. Yeah, so like there was a moon landing. How How is that going to affect, <laughs> yeah. you know, the use of video in, in, in documentation for court cases too? Well, and we've already seen just with Baltimore, you know, what can happen when Cops now have to wear these and where they're trying to coordinate who's got whose camera on. Did you have your camera on? What about that 30 second buffer? Mm-hmm. Um, geez, it's all just sad that we're at that state now to where. But, you know, it's also a good thing that like for how many years were bad things happening without any. Yeah. Uh, citizen. Uh, I mean, there was no recourse, you know, for so long. Yeah. And yeah. there still isn't to a large degree. This is just a little small thing. No, it's true. But I mean, there has to be a certain level of uh, at least gratification among people who have lived with distrust of the police or have been abused as a a, a whole by police um, for decades that people are now finally starting to be like, oh, man, this is crazy. You, How long has this been going on? Yeah, you know, because there's a light being shined on it. Um, and so in that sense, yes, it's crazy that we're at this state right now in our, our country. But, you know, m- maybe it's just a, a growing pain toward moving to a better place. Yeah. You know, that Rialto study, too, in their summation, they also said something about um, I can't remember exactly how they put it, but something mm-hmm. about. How they found that it they think that it also requires police to take to take more verbal abuse from people, um, which, you know, isn't fun, but sort of like the days are over where if you smart off to a cop, they can't just throw your face on the ground. Right. 
and put well, their supposedly. knee through your cheekbone, right? Uh, because you've smarted off to them. Um, so they they did. I don't think they weighed in either way on what that means. They just said, what well, you know, it looks like cops are going to have to start enduring a little more talk back from the drunk guy at the bar mm-hmm. uh, without diving right into excessive force because they were pissed off. Now, drunk guy at the bar notwithstanding, what are the big things that that these body uh, cameras are touted for? And I think you said it early on, um, is that people behave differently when they know they're being recorded. Right. So that officers won't have to take verbal lashings from people well, yeah, um, maybe so. as often. And so that might, that, that the very presence of the camera supposedly um, can keep situations from escalating or it can actually de-escalate a situation. Just if, if the officer's like, All right, I need you to know you're being recorded right now. Do they have to say that? People supposedly straighten up. I don't know if they have to or not. Well, we're in such the early nascent days of this. It's um, yeah. This is sort of an early podcast to see what ramifications are going to happen later on. You know, who knows? Yeah, and one of the things that I saw was that this is a situation. This is a, a technology that's gotten a lot of press. Oh yeah, but it's still very early on in actual like academic study of it. Sure. Supposedly, and including the Rialto study, most studies are not published in journals and aren't peer-reviewed. They're just, you know, studies largely carried out by, like, criminologists or, or scientists, yeah. but also by the local police departments carrying the studies out on their own department, right? Right. There's a, supposedly only been two peer-reviewed journal studies published on body-worn cameras so far. Um, and one of them was on the effect of giving an officer leeway on when to press record. Right. How, how does that impact things like um, the use of violence? And this, this 2016 study in the Journal of Experimental Criminology found that compared to the control group, um, if the officer had very little leeway in deciding when to record, meaning they had to record all the time, um, that physical, the use of physical violence Decreased by 37%. Yeah. But in situations where officers had a lot of leeway in deciding when to press record or not, um, it, it was 71% higher than the control group. Yeah. The, the, this whole when is it recording and when is it not is the, seems like the biggest sticking point right now. Yeah. And are we going to move to a future where they are absolutely required to record any interaction with a citizen? Or they get suspended or something. Right. Like who knows what, what we're headed toward. Yeah. Like it's a big deal if they're not yeah. recording, not like a, uh, you know, you gotta, you're supposed to be recording kind of thing. I mean, I guess it, from a good cop's point of view, they should say like, man, I want to record this thing because this is what's going to exonerate me in this atmosphere we have today. Yeah. But I think cops, I do it right. I think cops are also scared that, that, that footage that, it could also be intr- like footage can be used against them, even if it sure. doesn't show anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, man, it's just so fraught as so a technology with complications to be, to be used like this. Yeah. You know, and again, the fact that we're using it says, Hey, you guys don't trust you guys. So we're going to keep these cameras here. So everybody be cool. Like that solves anything. I wonder when cars are going to come equipped with built-in cameras yeah. that, that, you know, record all around the car, let's say. I mean, the cameras are already there with, you know, a lot of these uh, safety features. Mm-hmm. All that's lacking is a record button. 
Well, the cops have those for um, running license plates while they're driving down the street. Oh yeah, their cameras are are just looking at license plates of the cars they're driving past. Yeah, to to run them. And there was one other thing I saw in that um, Fasco motherboard Pasternak article. Um, he just kind of casually made mention that department stores, hospitals, airports, they're already using video facial recognition systems. So if you walk into like Macy's or something, I don't know this specifically, but I'm just picking on Macy's, that <laughs> when you're on camera, your face is being run against a database to see if you're somebody that they should be worried about or maybe even call the cops about. Oh, Did I thought you were going to say that somebody that likes neckties and <laughs> they may have that too. It depends on whether they got their software from Taser or from Neiman Marcus. Yeah, I did not know that. And that, uh, that just takes profiling to a higher level, huh? Yeah. Well, or maybe not. If they're getting good information, then. Yeah, I guess you're right. Probably, you're right. I mean, that's not profiling, is it? It's ultra tailored profiling. If someone walks in and they're like, well, this guy committed th- three acts of, of, uh, shoplifting in the past year. Right. Might want to watch him. Is that profiling? No, because it's specific to you, not say your race or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's difficult to argue that, that, that point of it. It's more just like the man, you know, that's being surveilled everywhere. Yeah. So this is a good one. Yeah. You got anything else? No. I'm interested to see where this goes. Plenty of follow up stories over the years. I'm sure. Yep. Will happen. Yes. I'm sure as well. Um, if you want to know more about body-worn cameras, police cameras, just look up police body cameras, and it'll bring up this really good article by Julia Layton on how stuff works. Since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, well, I'm going to call it very cute email from a little kid. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't read that one on this one. <laughs> right. He's got to slog through this and be like, this is the future I have ahead of me. All right, so this was from uh, Noah. He is five years old and is Scottish. Um, And his mom sort of supplemented the email with some little things here and there. And then at the end, she said, you know, he really wanted to write into you guys personally. So I let him use my email account. And uh, otherwise, it is just his words. And then a P.S. from mom. Uh, Dear Chosh, C-H-O-S-H. Smart kid. Very cute. Uh, I like listening to your podcast. I listen to it in the car. And before I fall asleep, my favorite facts is about an iceberg as big as Jamaica and what to do in a tornado. Uh, and then mom says in parentheses, he reminds me frequently to not go in a tunnel during a tornado. We live in Scotland where there are no tornadoes. <laughs> uh, you're funny and I like learning about disasters as long as they're not too scary. And my mama says I'm too little. Can you do an episode about the different kinds of bridges and engineers? I listened to that one you did, but I'd like another because I'm going to be a structural engineer and build bridges. Oh, sharp kid. Love, Noah, parentheses, I'm five and I live in Scotland, which is in Europe. Thanks. Thanks for the tip, Noah. Noah, that is great. You are wonderful. Uh, we appreciate you. And mom adds this P.S. I'm afraid there's one in the family who's not a fan. Every time Stuff You Should Know comes on in the car, my three-year-old daughter cries, no. Not stuff you should know. I can't sing to that. Oh, that's cute. She says, sorry, guys, you can't compete with Disney. And me personally, uh, Mom, if you can record your daughter screaming about how she doesn't like stuff you should know. That's a ringtone. And then record Noah 
talking about how he does love stuff you should know mm-hmm. in that lovely Scottish accent. I, for one, would like to hear that. Yeah, same here. And we'll even play it. Um, yeah, thanks a lot, Noah. You're the bomb, buddy. In America, that means you're terrific. Yep. Uh, and thanks to Mom, too, for uh, fostering that email. Yes. Way, way to go. Mom is great. You're all great. <laughs> if you are a cute kid who wants to tell us hi, we love hearing from you. Um, you can tweet to us at Josh Um Clark or at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know or slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can take the traditional route and send us an email at StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 